Hi, this is Buzz Moyer. I was a B-camera Steadicam operator on West Side Story. My name is Mitch Dubin. I was the A-camera operator on West Side Story. And this is a Go Creative show. Hello and welcome to the Go Creative show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli and today we speak with John Buzz Moyer and Mitch Dubin, camera operators on West Side Story. And uh, guys, I am so excited to have you on the show today because first of all, I love talking to camera operators and Mitch, we've had you on before for this very yes. subject, but to have two of you on talking about such a huge film, it's going to be a lot of fun. So first of all, welcome to both of you. Thanks. Thank you. Happy to be Thanks here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Now, there's a ton to talk about. Before we get there very quickly, I want to mention our sponsor today, MZ, Empowering Filmmakers, and of course, encourage you to follow us on your favorite podcast app, as well as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. So, I want to introduce you both to our audience just to make sure everyone knows kind of how you work together in your roles on, on the film. So, Mitch, tell us, what was your role on West Side Story? I've, I mean, I've done now 18 movies with Steven Spielberg as his A-camera operator. And, um, you know, being the A-camera operator, it involves a lot of responsibilities other than panning and tilting the camera. You know, you're, you sort of keep the set moving. You're organizing, you're, you're coordinating, collaborating with the grip department, the electric department, the sound department, um, the, the camera assistants. And uh, there's a lot that goes into being a camera operator, which I'm sure Buzz will talk about as well. And the difference between A and B camera operator um, on this show, you know, because it was a musical and it was, you know, there was a lot of great steady cam that Buzz did. I feel like we sort of both participated as, you know, a camera operators. Yeah. But, um, and know. Buzz, what was your role on the film? Yeah, I was the B camera Steadicam operator. Uh, if some of the most of the dance sequences, uh, Mitch was on a, a a techno crane with a lever head, so he was off operating remotely. And I was actually, I'm going to step something. in, but I just have to correct you real quick because I made the same mistake. It's actually a Scorpio crane, which we should get oh, yeah, right. for our, 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 our equipment technical. Yes, people. exactly. Yeah. Do you guys have Monster. sponsorships? Is that what's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, Monster remotes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's right. Yeah. So it was okay. So uh, Mitch was on a telescopic crane with a Libra head, a stabilized head, uh, pretty much off the dancing. And, and if I was doing B camera, I'd be off either under the crane, off you know, kind of out of the way, longer lens, picking off some things like that. And uh, so basically he's, he, Mitch is the A camera is, is showing most of the, of the process and being wide. And I'm trying to pick off moments of expressions or things like that. And sometimes with a steady cam, I'd be out underneath the crane uh, moving laterally or in through, or his shot would be not very good for an intro, or I'd be in his shot and have to pull back with the actors or the dancers. And then his shot would work as well as mine at the same time, just to get as, you know, get as much uh, information on two cameras as possible. But, you know, but I, I would say also, Buzz, and you could maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, Steven Spielberg tends to really like shooting one camera at a time. He's not a big multiple, multiple camera director. Now, obviously, on some of the big dance numbers, we did multiple cameras, you and I together. But on the dramatic sequences, um, it was really he focuses one camera. So, you know, most of the time it would be a camera, but sometimes it would be a steady cam scene. And um, that's why I say that, you know, at times Buzz was, you know, operating like he was the a camera operator as well. I want to talk about the techniques that you guys employed for filming a musical. Um, first of all, have either of you worked on a musical of this scale before? No. I've never. Getting nose from ever. Mitch. Buzz, you, have you done any musical work before? I did. Uh, well, I did a uh, thing called Step Up 3D, which I, technically was a lot of dancing. Um, and I, was, I did some additional photography on uh, In the Heights. Um, and I, not to go on about this too much, but I was, as a child, I was a dancer. So I, I, I kind of understand the whole 
you know, this kind of whole thing about dancing, you know, if someone says five, six, seven, eight, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Pay attention. Well, did you feel like your experience as a dancer helped you in this role? Like, is there kind of a, did you feel there was a benefit to having those skills? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, You know, having, watching them go through rehearsal, uh, if it was very, if it was very difficult where the actors are hitting different marks and uh, you have to, you have to kind of be ahead of that with a camera. If you're, if you're behind it, you've missed it. You know, you have to be ahead of it to know where it's going to, where eventually they're going to end up so that you're there waiting for that moment. So um, yeah, having that experience certainly was, yeah, it was, I was very lucky to have that experience. It gave me, definitely gave me an advantage. Yeah. Mitch, how do you treat a film like West Side Story? That's a musical. How, and being your first one, how is it different for you? What were maybe some of the, kind of aha moments you had when you got on set and you're like, Oh, I guess we're doing things a little <laughs> differently now. Well, there really are, I, I think, a, a, like a different set of rules for doing a musical. I mean, one really obvious rule is that, you know, when you're showing dancers dancing, you don't cut off their feet. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty basic, but it's not something that when you're doing a dramatic narrative scene that you always think about, you know, um, you know, you try to make frames clean and, you know, there's certain traditions of where you frame people. But, you know, sometimes you, you don't, you know, it's something else is more important. You might cut off their feet. But in dancing, that's like the ultimate sin. You know, sometimes after a take, I would get a note, Mitch, you cut off their feet. And so we'd have to do it again. But the but the thing that this Buzz was referring to, it's everything is so motivated by the music and normally we're camera operators we find our motivation visually we're looking at something even if it might mean we have you know we keep our you know left eye open while your right eye to the eyepiece but doing dance in a musical these they're so athletic these dancers you know and i would i would get instructions from steven you know like on the that downbeat of the fourth verse or the fifth stanza mitch whip over to this leaping dancer and first of all, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> it's one problem. <laughs> but then they, but when I finally understood what it meant, wait, what, what did uh, you not understand? The term, well, the, like, musical a, terminology. Yeah the, yeah, the musical terminology. Ah, uh, you okay. Know, you know, Buzz is a musician and a dancer, as he says. But for me, you know, I mean, I I understand music and beats and everything, but the, the terminology sometimes would be, you know, like in a recording studio. I, I don't, I, you know, I. I didn't really understand it, but that didn't take too long to figure out. But still, my instinct was always, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, it's the downbeat on the fifth verse, whatever. I'm just going to watch. I'll keep my eye open and watch for that dancer leaping. And if whenever I tried to do that, inevitably, I was always, always late because, like I said, these dancers are so athletic, uh, you know. If I jump in the air, you know, I'm going to bend my legs and I'm going to wind up and I'm going to jump. With with dancers, you're looking at them and one minute they're standing on the ground and the next instant they're in the air. You don't, they don't do anything. They just fly. So, um, I, I, if I, you know, I needed sometimes to have somebody tap me on the shoulder when the, when that was coming up or otherwise just understand the music well enough that, I knew on this beat I had to get over there to this dancer. But it was different. You know, it was musically motivated, not visually motivated. Buzz, did you feel like you were able to anticipate those moments maybe better just because you had a sense of movement from these dancers? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. If I if I had not had that experience, I don't know if I could have or not. I was, uh, you know, because I, I, I did have that. I did have that background and that experience, so I can't. I would have to say that it was. It did help. It, it was an advantage to know, uh, you know, the beats and the things. And, and uh, we we also had we had headsets, uh, and sometimes I would ask for click track just to know uh, when you know I could count the clicks that would because the dancers are based on whatever those steps are, so the clicks could also motivate to say, okay, and I'm going to pan now. And, you know, so you'd have yeah. kind of, you should have a syllabus uh, for last of a better word to go by for each take, you know. I want to talk about framing for a musical because like you mentioned, Mitch, you, you can't cut off their feet. 
So I imagine that you are now stuck with wider lenses than maybe you would have done. Um, you don't necessarily have the the focus um, or lack thereof that you would want to. And uh, you, you kind of have to be wide. Everything has to be in focus for a lot of this. Um, how do you kind of adapt your own maybe sensibilities or styles to now work within these kinds of confounds? Well, you know, certainly, you know, on some of the really big dance numbers, like in the 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 gym, the school gym, and in the street for the end of uh, America. Um, those are huge shots. I mean, they're just like old-fashioned Hollywood big shots. And um, there's this, they're fun to do because they're just so beautiful and big in the production value. Um, you know, when it was smaller numbers, um, you know, it, you know, the way Steven works is everything's, the camera is choreographed so that it's moving and, and it, sometimes it's invisible, but you might, you might be wide to see their feet, but at some point in the choreography of the dancers, the camera moves in to medium shots or even a close up just to understand the emotion of what the scene is. It's not just the dance. And then maybe then pull out again to see the finale and the wideness and the beauty of the dance. So, it, you know, it's I, you know, on some level, it, it wasn't any different than than an other Spielberg film. You know, the cameras are always moving from wide to medium to tight to wide again, and um, the diff the only difference was it was mu musically motivated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Buzz, I guess similar question. Knowing, I mean, you're if, especially when you're operating Steadicam, you're likely on a wider lens anyway. But did so your approach to the big musical numbers um, change in any way because of the fact that you know you're you're shooting dancers? Uh, again, as Mitch said, you know you you want to show the feet to the head, um, and was, uh, I don't think that it changed. I think you're you're still rel you're still framing the shot. Uh, to, to get every all the information in that is possible with whatever lens has been chosen, and to also do it effectively and without running into anybody because people are running at me, running away from me. So <laughs> that was also kind of a thing, or tripping and falling down. But um, I, don't, I really don't think um, nothing was adjusted. To the sh you know, the shot was the shot, and um, you, you know that you, you we're required to, to to do that, and uh, you know, hopefully, we do it as best. Uh, that we can and you know everyone's happy with it so yeah as camera operators on west side story do you are you more involved in rehearsals for a musical than you would be for just a, a traditional you know drama film it just a regular i guess regular film is what we'll call them not really i mean um they rehearsed you know the dancers rehearsed you know with Justin Peck, the choreographer, and Stephen, I'm sure as well, for months and months before we started shooting, mm. and uh, we weren't a part of that. Um, so, as a result, like, were, were you able to make adjustments, or were you basically just shown the scene, shown the dance, and it was up to both of you to figure out the way to approach it? Well, you know, one of the other issues is is just the physicalness of the dancers, uh, you know, the, the of their exertion. I mean. One of the numbers, I guess it was the American number, right? But it was really, really hot in New York mm. that summer. And Yanish also with his big lights. I mean, seriously, the, some of the actors, they would be tanned from the, the light, the intensity of the light. Wow. And, and, and Ariana, you know, has said that her shoes melted on the streets in the New York. It was hot and very physical. So you can't do very many takes. You can't ask them to rehearse. And then think about it and say, okay, we're ready. It's sort of like you see it. You sort of, you know, you've, you're given sort of basic instructions of what Stephen wants. And they go action and, 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 you know, you have to perform like the dancers do. Yeah, it was, it was impressive to see those dancers out there, full costumes wearing, uh, I'm sure they're a rayon. I don't know if there's a lot of cotton involved in that, but. Uh, there were it, it it was it was hot it was very hot and I think at one day as Mitch referred to uh, I counted about three hundred thousand watts of light just surrounding everything you know which which uh, 
was hot, you know, certainly with a steady cam being out there running around. Um, it wasn't for one of our, our camera trainees. I, he would, every time I put the steady cam down, he'd be there with the water and just shove it in my face. And you have to drink, you have to drink. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, because it was, it, there's a great, there's so, someone took a picture of me. I was standing in front of a giant Ritter fan, which they had, they just fired them up between takes and dumping these bottles of water over me, the best time to stand there trying to get cool. It was so hot. Oh my gosh, it was hot. And but in fact, can you imagine the dancers? I mean, they were in uh, full wardrobe and high heels, and, and yeah, it's crazy. It was it was impressive to watch. It was certainly impressive to watch. Yeah, really. I want to talk about the the overall look of the film. Something I noticed throughout almost its entirety is this intense backlight or sometimes even sidelight that is sort of depicting the sun and it's in all of the exterior scenes but it's it's very bright it's very hot it's sharp and it almost has like a glisten to it and uh it's something that carries through the entire film and i'd love to talk to you about the and i, I know neither of you were the directors of photography necessarily but i hope you can speak to that decision and how it was achieved and mitch we'll start with you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Janos is a is a very gifted cinematographer, and um, he, you know, he's in lots of ways. This film was shot old school, which is not soft light, hard light, backlight, flares. Um, you know, we shot with anamorphic lenses and old school. I think C series anamorphic lenses, if I'm correct, and um, the you know anamorphic lenses flare. That's what they do. That's why. One of the reasons why people like to use them. Um, I I question, I don't know, I, I'd have to talk to a visual effects supervisor, but whether some of the flares were added visual effect-wise, but um, the lenses flare anyway. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, I think Janusz wanted to um, have the film look and be lit as if it was, we were in that time period, which is how those movies looked, yeah. um, you know, and Yash always uses backlight, heavy backlight. In fact, it's always a problem for us as camera operators to, you know, try to keep the lights out of the frame. And oftentimes Josh will say, I ah, don't worry, just shoot the light because it's just going to flare out and be a big flare backlight. So he but, was embracing it. He, he was encouraging oh, yes, it. Yeah. Yes. And you're right. I do. I do notice that it has. It does have that kind of vintage, old school Hollywood look, even though it's contemporary in a lot of ways too. Um, I, I and that backlight is certainly one of the things that lends to it. But is there anything else, Buzz, that was done by way of camera choices, lens choices, um, even camera movement, perhaps, that sort of gives it that kind of classic Hollywood feel? I think just by once you're in it and you're shooting it and you're kind of getting the whole, just the period costumes, the the production value, um, seeing for blocks and blocks and blocks of, you know, two blocks away, there's a, a delivery man pulling um, uh, you know, newspapers out of, a, out of a truck or something like that. So, you know, you almost, if you did one pass, okay, and you're in a certain place where, um, I stood up physically in some place where I could see a certain amount of things. But then if I noticed something in the background in the distance, maybe I would hint a little to the left or the right to kind of uh, hopefully help uh, have more production value or, um, you know, help, help to surround the story and the dancers with all of that information, which only just, it just makes the, the show even bigger. You know, as I watch the movie, I've seen it three times and the third time I would kind of see what's going, but then I'd look around and see, just how big these shots were, they, uh, just so epic. The you know, Mitch would go up in the crane, and you just see so far. With, with it was just, it was just monumental. It was really fun yeah, to be a part of. That that is like the old Hollywood part, you know, of of, of making the movies. Bigness but of it. I would make one one note that I would say that makes this version of West Side Story less classical. And is in the sense of the camera movement, because if you look at the original 1960s version of West Side Story, which is wonderful as it was, and everybody holds it dear to their heart, the camera is really static. I mean, it looks like they're, other than the first number, 
it looks like they're filming a Broadway musical on stage, mm -hmm. very proscenium. And what we did, what Stephen, you know, inspired us to do is the camera is incredibly dynamic and it's in, it, it's in your face and it's, it's uh, much more, much more active. And, You know, I don't think even if they had wanted to do that in the 60s, they could have because the equipment that we have now, Steadicam, you know, telescoping cranes, stabilized heads, drones, all these things are tools that are available to us now that they didn't have in the 60s. But um, that's, a, a, I think, a big difference that sort of separates the current film from the historical one in the 60s. Yeah. Let's talk about the gear. Camera lenses um, for West Side Story. First of, first and foremost, what did you shoot on? Film. Panavision. Thought, thought so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like Stephen would just demand it, and he certainly has the clout to demand it. <laughs> yeah, he he will. I don't think Stephen will ever shoot anything in digital. Yeah. Um, But, um, yeah, we should have filmed. Now, I, you know, I'm going to preface this and buzz. You can uh, disagree if you'd like. But as camera operators, and maybe we won't we'll disappoint some of your listeners, but we're really not very technical. You know, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't know what lenses we use other than that they were anamorphic. I know we use Panavision cameras. Um, um, but, you know, our concern is, is the four lines of the frame and whatever it takes for me to see those four lines of the frame. It's really all my concern is, you know, um, so we're yeah, not going to be big technical. Uh, yeah. I'll get as a steady cam operator. I've been doing it for quite some time. And when I started, there were only two models to choose from and they broke all the time. So my technical comes from just fixing the dang thing when it didn't work, pulling it out of the case. But, <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I still use a, a, a relatively old arm. Um, I, d I did not have a, uh, these, these augmented state, uh, horizon devices now with this thing called a volt and a wave. I did not, I used that uh, wave for one shot in the, uh, it was, a, it was in the movie. That was it. And everything else is just old school. I find that with film because of the motors running, uh, in the magazine and, and the, and the film camera it actually works as kind of like a gyro. It wants to stay straight and not yaw as much as, as these, you know, heat sinks, which are, um, you know, video cameras now. But yeah, yeah, we really, as far as technical things, that, you know, you, the lenses and things like that. Um, I as long as I can see through it and uh, you know uh, I can find an image with that. That's that's what it comes down to. But you know, in terms of lenses, everybody will ask about lens and and. And because, you know, working in digital, too, you know, all the sensors are different sizes and film is certainly, you know, defined size. But so, you know, a 27 millimeter lens in anamorphic obviously looks different than a spherical 27. And, and depending on what camera you're putting it on, it's going to look different. So, you know, in a way, it's like you just get used to the language of the set of lenses that you have. And And it's almost like every movie, it seems like it's a different language. So you just understand the translation of the language you're speaking to the millimeter of lenses that are in the lens box. But I do also have, I do have one technical thing that I would like to share. because we did one thing that was interesting that we have, I had never done before, which is we, the, I, you know, we use as our stabilized head, a, a Libra head and, The Libra controller built into it, they have these motion sensors and um, our Libra tech figured out a system where I could take the controller, which normally lies horizontally and the wheels are connected to it, and turn it on its side, put two handles on it and an eyepiece, and I can actually put this controller on my shoulder and I could actually do handheld work on a remote stabilized head that's maybe 50 feet in the air. That's so cool. Yeah, it was very, really interesting because Stephen likes handheld and um, when it's necessary or when it's appropriate, I mean. Um, but it was wonderful to be able to do handheld on, like like I said, on a, you know, a big sweeping 
Scorpio crane, telescoping crane up in the air, down, pushing in, pulling out. I mean, it was, it added another bit of excitement that, that I had never done before. How are you controlling it? On my shoulder. Just literally. So- the, the, it, it's the controller that I normally have the wheels attached to, but inside of it, there are sensors. So when you move that controller up like this, like, it, it the head will move that same way. Oh, I, cool! So, so the head the of right. the camera, the head of the camera is mimicking your motion by way of right. like a, a sensor vest or something like that. Is that well? I, the, the sensors are actually in the the controller of the lever head. That the control the same controller that that uses the wheels to control the pan tilt. Yeah. Roll. You can take that. Hit a couple switches to change its mode and I could put it on my shoulder and it would do the same thing, pan, tilt and roll. That is cool. So you can kind of mimic the action of in the feel of handheld, but way up in the sky with it's hanging off of a, off a crane. That that's pretty cool. I've never heard of something like that. I think I sent Connor a picture of it, but. Oh, um, great. Well, if you, if you did, and I, I mean, I'm sure you did. um, I can, we can make sure that we. Yeah. I'll point it out to him. So yeah, we'll put that in the show notes so you guys can check it out. That sounds really that sounds really cool. The best part about that was he'd be sitting on a in a in a drum throne and he'd be like this. The set is over there, but he's pointing this way because there was no real relative. So people be ducking out of the way when he'd pan over it. <laughs> I oh, love that. Like, like he's holding the camera. You have to go, oh, geez. Yeah, you know, it was <laughs> but there's, there's like no lens on it. It looks like, like no a lens. camera, but there's no lens on it. The lens is up in the air or somewhere else. Yeah, it was, but that was funny. You get used to that. And Mitch is like pointing at everybody. And going, what is he? <laughs> so between Mitch ro- roaming around what appears to be aimlessly just all over the place, we've got dancers running in your face. I mean, how do you not get hit in the head with a high heel or something on this shoot? (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's take a quick break and talk about MZ empowering filmmakers. Now, you want to think about MZ as the Netflix of filmmaking education. And that's because when you become an MZ Pro member, you have access to the entire array of quality education for filmmakers right there. It's high quality, it's video-based, and it covers all sorts of things like directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. There are hundreds of hours of high-quality video-based filmmaking education, and it's all there at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. Now, they've got all sorts of courses and all of those topics, but a couple I want to mention right here. One is the Indie Film Blueprint, which is basically a roadmap for how to plan, shoot, and sell your first indie feature. So that is great information. And of course, there's information there on editing with DaVinci Resolve. Now, those of you guys that have been listening, you know I'm a Final Cut Pro editor. However, you know, I take a look at DaVinci Resolve every once in a while. People seem to be People seem to be dabbling in that a little bit more, and that's certainly something that I want to learn more about. So it's there, uh, as well as the art and technique of film editing taught by none other than Tom Cross, the editor of La La Land, Whiplash, and No Time to Die, and so much more, too. So we're talking about great content taught by educators at the top of their game, and it's all there at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. And yes, you can buy individual courses. Even though I recommend becoming an MZ Pro member, because then you have access to it all. But you can buy individual courses. But whatever you buy, you can get 20% off by using the promo code GCS20 at checkout, GCS20. So it's all there at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D, MZ, empowering filmmakers. I want to talk about the relationship between camera operators and their DPs, because it's amazing how many times, you know, we'll we'll be talking to uh, you know, people that are listening to the show and they'll say like, oh, I, I had no idea that D- DPs most of the time don't operate their own cameras. It's kind of like uh, a, a, a sort of a new thing for people that haven't done um, large scale films or even large scale projects. It's so often, especially in kind of like corporate videos, smaller stuff, even music videos sometimes, um, commercial work that the DPs also operate. So... In a, in a film like this, obviously, you have 
operators like yourselves, but then you also have the DP kind of watching the screen and giving you direction. And I'd love to talk to you about the relationship between you guys, because it seems like that needs to be just as tight as a director in their cast. Um, Mitch, we'll start with you. Can you sort of describe that relationship between mm -hmm. operators and DPs? You know, I've done whatever, 18 films with Steven, but I've probably done 20, 21 films with Janusz. But mm -hmm. I will say that on a film, a Spielberg film, that as a camera operator, I tend to work closer with the director than I do mm -hmm. with Janusz. Um, um, Janusz is occupied with the lighting, which is always difficult on a Steven project because we're looking you know, 180 degrees plus almost every shot. So he has his hands full. And um, I think it's helpful for him that I take care of the camera end of things with Steven. And, and you know, obviously he needs to know what the shot is and, and what we're doing. But a lot of the communication happens between me and Steven. Um, now that's this relationship. It's different on other films, you know. Um, but is it common for the camera operators and the directors to have a really close connection like that? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I, I mean, I'll say this to your listeners, but I've always felt like a camera operator, um, and probably a lot of people might not be happy when I say this, but I think camera operating job should have been a DGA job, to be honest with you. Mm. I mean, most of my work, I'm, I'm talking, collaborating with the director. Um, and we're telling stories. It's all visual storytelling. Yeah, and that's the director's you know prerogative, you know, especially if it's a visual director who really knows the camera. For sure, I'm I'm working by him a lot. Sometimes the directors are more oriented towards the acting or the writing or um, other elements of filmmaking, and then in that case, I'll be working with the cinematographer and we'll be figuring out how to shoot a scene. Do you have the same experience, Buzz? Yeah, for sure. That's definitely, you know, it depends on what, who you're working with in a relationship uh, you have with the, the people you've been hired by or uh, are you know, currently working with. So uh, it, it almost, I've been in situations where the DP will walk in and say, okay, where are you guys pointing? And, and then you, because we've, I've worked out something with a director and uh, the marks have been made and the DP might say, can we not do that until the sun comes around to here? You know, because they have to protect, you know, the visual look of the film. Um, so, you know, so that it, it does very much depend upon who you're working with. Um, uh, if it's if it's a writer director, sometimes they don't have they aren't their visual language through the camera is not as um, sophisticated as sophisticated as as maybe the director of photography and the operator. Then, uh, as an operator, kind of being the the go between to you know offer suggestions if if you know if that's allowed or you know respected um the collaborative part of it is uh is very much you know why i like to do it uh, having collaboration between you know all departments but um it does depend upon the situation who's you know who's kind of running it have you worked buzz with spielberg before i did i did the post um so this is the West Side Story was the second time around. The post um, was that was a lot of Steadicam in that um, a lot, uh, and it was you know a combination of at that point twenty eight years of um, a long career, having done all of the shots certainly that was were asking me, but the length, duration, and precision of the shots you know not so much. It's you know it's it's a demanding thing to be you know steering the horse when you're you know. Uh, when Stephen takes that finder and says, we start here, and then, you know, four and eight pages later, you end up over here, which Mitch is very familiar with. But um, it's quite, it is quite an experience, and it's quite a test of your merit um, and uh, your skill set for sure um, and your integrity. But it, it, ultimately, it, is, it really is rewarding to see it all come together and know you're a part of it. So, yeah. I can imagine just the precision alone, the amount that rests on the camera operators is pretty staggering when you think, I mean, you kind of are like the last link in the chain of what is going to be successful or not. Like if you guys, if the talent doesn't hit their marks, that's there, you get them. But on the camera side, 
it's you. Like you've got to hit your mark. You got to be there, ready to but, go. Even, you never even, want it to be your problem that you can't have a take. You know, even yeah. if the actors don't hit their marks, it's still our fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, I always yeah. say, yeah, if the Mona Lisa had sat three feet to the left, she wouldn't have been in the frame. So hit your marks. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. It's it, you know we are performers just like the actors are. It's it, you know I've done you know so many films with Stephen where um, the camera is, is basically another character in the film, and mm. we have to perform when when you know Stephen or any director says action, it's not a technical response. I mean we are performing, and um, we don't get to make mistakes though. You know, we can't drop a line or forget, you know, miss a mark or forget our line or something. We we're expected to always be there. And and I understand that because what actors put into their performances, the the difficulty of, of the emotional content of what they're doing, I get it. I understand it. And I, you know, a performance could be a one take thing. And if you're not on it, if you're not doing your job um, that that performance can be wasted, which would be tragic, you know. Mm-hmm. So we put that on our shoulders to do that. I know it's been a couple of years since you shot West Side Story, but if you think back, can you reflect on uh, the most challenging scene of the film, or maybe <laughs> is, there, is there is there one that you look back and when you're watching it, you're like, I can't believe that got done <laughs> you know i i said the, f- the first time i saw the movie i said that all the time i every <laughs> every scene i said holy how did we do that i can't believe that we accomplished that shot successfully because it it, it really it, it it all looks really difficult and hard to me and i look at it and i can't believe that we were successful yeah, so i want yeah <laughs> the, the one for me for sure was the one which when um uh, Maria gets up at, out of bed and the uh, shot starts. It comes off the window and it goes through the, the footboard. And uh, her head is in this little circle on the footboard. Now, with Steadicam, you can tell it's a Steadicam shot if you start pushing up. That, that, that parallax starts changing and the eyes start changing in that. So um, that starting that shot was, was brutal. Um, because I was in a very awkward position. Then she kind of raises her head after boom down just the slightest bit without being obvious. And then she gets up, stands up, and then I take her to the window. I go over to a mirror. She goes back across the room. She goes back over another mirror. I push in. I get out an apple box. Come up over the bed. She gets over to the bed. And um, yeah, that was a that was a killer. That was that I hands down was the one where that was the, the pucker shot right there making sure but you know what it, it, for your listeners when they see that shot um it's, it's when it's when she's getting ready to go to the party correct but it's after that, that's, 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 it's, it's after yeah it's actually after when she doesn't she hasn't taken her dress right, off right. she just got home. But yeah the point i'm making is that um your listeners when they see that scene they won't even think about the sweat yeah mm-hmm. that buzz went in to to do that shot, it was really difficult. I remember. Yeah, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. And you know, and, right. and this, and and they should. That's not our job is to not be there. You know, we are there. And and with Stephen, the camera is very much a part of the story, but it's still representing where the eye needs to be taken and where, what is the important part of the shot and what has led to other things and led to other shots. It's just this master craftsman of building, you know, all the ingredients to make the cake. You know, and. Um, it, it's it, to see it all together and to, to, to think back about all the parts that were gone together, the Krupke officer Krupke scene, just the mix between handheld um, jib arm and steady cam. Uh, it's, it is masterfully done and the performances are so on point. It was just inspiring yeah. to be, a, to, yeah. to be around I, all that. I look at the officer Krupke scene. And again, you know, I, I remember that scene in the original movie and it wasn't that inspiring, but it's so dynamic in this movie. And when I watched it, I said, Jesus, how did we do that, Buzz? I mean, the camera is whipping around and moving around and following pieces of paper. And it, it, yeah. it, was, it, was, yeah. it was intense. At one point, we rehearsed this little, this little bit where they're throwing baby John back and forth. And uh, 
and Stephen's standing next to me and you go, okay, then we go over here. Right. And then you go, all right. You go back that way. Yeah. Okay. Then you go back this way. And then uh, he comes yeah, towards you. Then back over there. And then it's the wide shot. And I'm standing there. And Stephen turns to me and says, Oh, you got all that. Right. I said, no, he goes, well, <laughs> screw it. Let's just shoot it anyway. So we did it. And, uh, it's just, you know, I, I was kind of on it again, having that yeah. dance thing, seeing the head turning on, I've got to, you know, Oh geez, whip, 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 you know, anyway, that yeah, was fun. Is there something about the way that you approach Steadicam shots that, like, is there something you try to avoid when you're doing a Steadicam shot? Like, do you, is there, is there like a trope of Steadicam operating that you try to avoid or, or something that you'll, like, like for instance, when we were talking to the director of photography for um, uh, Mrs. Maisel and it, the, a similar subject came up and he had mentioned something and this isn't a direct quote, but he mentioned something about like, I never want people to know that it's a crane or I never want people to know that it's a steady cam. I just want it to feel like we're in the scene. Um, and I was thinking about that leading into this interview because I'm curious, is there something that you do if you employ that? And if, if you agree with that thought, is there something that you do as a steady camera operator to avoid the, the the feeling of knowing it's a steady cam does that make sense it does yeah. can i answer that question yeah sure yeah. <laughs> a good steady cam operator is good it's good and you know you can i mean as a non steady cam operator one of the last traditional camera operators um it's a dead giveaway when the horizon starts floating and a, a good steady cam operator uh i you know, you know immediately. You see, you see that they they can do the shot without you know anything floating around. In fact, there are some shots in West Side Story that I I'm watching and say, did I do that or did Buzz do that? And that's how good Buzz is. You know that I could be on a dolly and I and maybe it was actually Buzz <laughs> that did the shot. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt Buzz. I just wanted to. No, that's your, so that's so your, it, your, so the horizon. Your, for you, is it the same for you? But is it that that horizon is kind of the the giveaway? Yeah, it, yeah, definitely that is a giveaway. Um, and now with all the horizon uh, augmentation devices that are out there, um, the some of the horizons are absolutely fantastic, but the operating is terrible. So <laughs> you know you have to. There's a balance there where you know you can't you can't know how to play the violin without going through the start to finish. You know, if all of a sudden you're like, oh, we can play the violin, but you didn't learn how to get through all the parts. Um, yes, certainly the the, the this yaw is um, that that's one thing that's I don't like, and I try to be more point to point. I try to think more as a dolly. So instead of looping somewhere where there's weird parallax, if you go straight and use the pan to your advantage and Delay when you're going to commit to a position. I know I'm getting very detailed and deep. Here. No, this is good. This is good. I but, love it. But if you, uh, I try to think more um, straight lines, um, straight lines and panning. So you're not kind of bending uh, or panning at the same time. And headroom is also a thing. I don't like to sometimes correct for headroom when someone is deep. I'll let them walk into the headroom where a lot of times you'll see someone below. They walk in and then they're correcting for the headroom. Hmm. But I like to have that headroom compressed on the way in. Some of these things, they, that, that bothers me when, when that happens, when there's little corrections. Um, and, and also allowing the frame to be played. Uh, because the Steadicam is so nimble and these little shifts and these pans and stuff, you know, when, you, when you're moving, uh, it, it is a distraction. It, it, it just let the actors do their thing. If they're pushing the frame, you know, have some guts to hold it and say, I'm just going to hold this. And hopefully they do. If not, okay, you messed up. But, you know, once you start to learn the actors and where they're standing, this is also the same just for operating as well. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, it's one thing, you know, again, for your listeners to know how to what we say fly a study cam, how to, you know, physically use it. But it's a completely other thing to know how to be an operator, how to be a mm -hmm. good camera operator with the tool of a study cam, because it's just a tool. So all those things that Buzz just explained and talked about, those are the same things as a, you know, a camera operator on a dolly or a crane. I, it's the same thing. Let the actors play the frame. Don't make a lot of little adjustments. How you play headroom, you know, when someone's, you know, it's just there's so many things that goes into these intuitive, I would say intuitive, instinctual responses as a camera operator that are sort of hard to really describe. 
um, until you get behind the lens. But um, those, you know, te- I don't know if they're techniques, but what are the skill set of a cam operator, you know, on a, on a crane is the same that a steady cam operator has to have. I think I think steady cam operators um, have had the great benefit of gimbals becoming so inexpensive because now hundreds of thousands of people around the globe can try to create a nice looking gimbal shot and realize it's way harder than you think. And it, so you, you're sort of getting the benefits of the challenges of shooting steady cam and gimbal work now because so many people have the opportunity to do it poorly. They can buy one for a couple hundred bucks and realize that it's not that easy. Right. Yeah, that's right. It, it takes years. I mean, you know, it, it, again, if you associate to the violin, you go to a class and you squeak out, twinkle, twinkle, little star, and you say, okay, you know, go play with a philharmonic, you know, a philharmonic. Well, I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing, you know. So it's kind of the same thing. It just take, it takes a lot of years to, to build it and to also just to get the life experience um, and seeing your work over and over again and also your peers' work and, and try to compare and contrast. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a lifelong endeavor. And I, yes, um, well, yeah. I, I, I am happy to do it until my life is no longer long. So I'm good. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true. Also, you know, being on the, you know, a camera, not doing say it is a lifelong endeavor. I mean, every, every show has different challenges and, um, different ways you use the camera. So it's not something that you, you learn and you put the book down and you, you know, you do it. It's you're always learning. Yeah. I want to talk about creative freedom as a camera operator. Um, You don't have the credit of director of photography. You're doing very different things. Do you still feel like there's creative freedom um, in, you know, for West Side Story as operators, but also just in general? Does the role of a camera operator lend itself to having creative freedom in maybe the way that people perceive directors of photography having? And Mitch, we'll start with you. Yes, is the answer. Uh, you know, a, a big resounding yes. Um, you know, no matter how specific, you know, a director or a cinematographer might be, you know, they'll give you, okay, Mitch, you start here. This is your start frame. And then they'll sh- this is your end frame. So even with that, which might be the most restrictive information you might get, you know, between A and B, it's all you. It's all the camera operator. It's you're making decisions, you know, 24 frames a second. You're having to make a choice of where to put the frame. And also, I would say that, you know, especially with Stephen, he'll explain what the shot he wants and then he walks away. And it's up to us as camera operators to figure out how to execute those shots, what tools to use, you know, uh, what personnel to use. Um, you know, it, that's actually, you know, can be the hardest part of the shot is figuring out how, what's the most elegant way to execute this shot. Mm. But yes, there is a lot of, you know, like I said, it, camera operating is an instinctive, intuitive process and no one can tell you how to do that. And if you're thinking about what they're thinking, you're thinking, they're thinking at Video Village, let's say you're going to be dead. You know, you have to be completely alone and focused in the frame and it's only you do you feel yeah, the same buzz yeah even a, it's just a simple thing in, in, a, in a dialogue between two people if if you're an operating if you're operating a shot between two people and, and the actor's doing this and they're then they're kind of doing this and they're looking up and they're, they're coming back down like that well you can let that go all right because you know editorially if, if someone's talking to you and the head's down like that they're going to cut back to the head coming up. And if you're always correcting for this, you know, it's going to become <laughs> distracting, right? So just let it go. I mean, if you're, you're always, oh, no, my headroom is got to keep the headroom. Right. You know, but then if you're cutting back and forth, that's, you're going to get seasick. So, you know, as an operator, a lot of creativity comes from knowing the edit and knowing when the cut's going to happen, or at least having an idea what the cut's going to happen and knowing you're not forcing a cut for the editor. You're not saying, you know, if, if someone's losing, leaving frame and you keep panning and panning and panning, you know, the editor's like, you, did, ah, you know, so you, you kind of get wrapped up in the story and you are not being the editor, but at least you're, you're allowing the editor to uh, make the choice and not forcing the cut. So, you know, thinking as simply as it's a two people talking. Um, you know, that's just one example. And, and that's your choice because you can do that and people might not even notice it. 
uh, you know, directors or whatever, but you're, you're making that call um, emotionally because you're, and also you're making the audience work because now they're, the audience is looking up and down in the frame because they're following the eyes. So if you're tilting, they're not, it's, it's not moving. You, their, their eyes don't move. So you can think of it that way too. Now I was told by our producer Connor to ask you specifically about during tonight, the number tonight, an 18 K tracking shot uphill for a half a block. What, <laughs> Tell me about this story. I'm actually surprised because I have like, it's underlined, it's bolded. I'm like, we've got to talk about this. I'm surprised that it hasn't been brought up yet. What, what is this, what is this moment we're talking about here? The 18K and a tracking shot uphill for half a block following Maria and like blocked by her head. I, I'm, I know the scene, but what is the story behind it? Uh, it was just, it was an effect that that, uh, they wanted the sunset behind her head and, uh, you know, if you're walking back with the Steadicam in low mode up a hill, slowly booming up with someone's head, you know, Rachel has to walk completely straight because if she's we get parallax and the light comes, light goes, light goes, like, you know, obviously they can paint it out. But um, that one was, uh, that was, I never was happy with that. Steven was happy with it after the last two for performance. But that was one of those takes I just was never happy with because I felt that I failed the shot. Mm. And I will I will go to my grave thinking I failed that shot because I could always have done better because I, I was just this little slightest bit of parallax. I finally got to the point where I was following her, her lean, where I could kind of make that adjustment as we're going. And you don't notice it except the stupid truck in the side of the thing. You see the truck kind of doing this, and that bothers the heck out of me. So, <laughs> so I have to wait. 20 years from now, I wake up on the couch and I see that shot. I'm like, I can't believe I screwed that up. But anyway, that was a tough one because I had to start low and then boom up to the point where now, you know, um, the camera's up here and Rachel, poor Rachel, is literally a foot from me. And I can hear her voice just right there screaming in front of me. It was really, it was really incredible. That was, that was also a tough one, too. But I, I think I failed the system on that. No one will notice it. Be, it's just one of those things that just, you'll be oh, That's that going to bother you. Yeah, but for me, oh, yeah, because that's what we do. That's Mitch and I. That's what we do. We, we strive for perfection all the time. And when those little things happen, you go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they use that. Is there or a something. shot that bothers you, Mitch, that something you're just like, oh, I wish we did one more take. There's got to be something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's actually, you know, I, I, I mentioned the thing about cutting off the feet, but I believe it's in the, the, the finale of the American number where I do cut Ariana's feet just a little bit, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I know, and I even think we did another take because of that. Um, but Stephen chose to use that take because of obviously the performance, but I see it and I say, oh. That's I committed the cardinal sin right there, yeah. and it's on and the shoot, big screen. Yeah, it's sh- <laughs> shooting anamorphic. You can't do this because you're you're yeah, exposing you, the entire. You can't shift. You're you're locked. That headroom is headroom, and that footroom is footroom. Yeah, there's yeah. no more room on the negative to change. Yeah, you mess frames. it up. It's that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, I, I would say one thing that I've learned as an operator is that there, as much as we strive and we do strive for perfection, there really I can say in my career, which has been a long career. I don't know if if I've ever done a perfect shot. There's always something I could do better. There's always something that will make the shot better for me, but it doesn't mean that it makes it better for the film. It doesn't mean that, you know, you know, it's, you know, obviously that might've been a great performance for the actors. We don't want to compromise that. The schedule, you know, the timing of saying, I need another take means that there'll be one less take for the director you know, at the end of the day. So you always have to evaluate, I call it sort of the art of compromise and evaluate when that lack of perfection um, is um, a burden more than anything, Hmm. you know, that, you know, pursuit of perfection. That that pursuit of perfection can get in the way. There is a saying, I wish it was at the top of my mind. There is some sort of a saying about perfection getting in the way of, something else i can't remember what the exact saying is but if i had it i would say it and it would sound amazing but i don't have it so i'm just going to leave it there well, you perfect, can, you example, can look it up. perfect example of what we're talking about yes. uh, exactly um yeah. well our time is winding down and i just want to end with one more question um and just ask for uh for advice for young filmmakers There's a lot of them listening to the show they want to get into the industry they want to be operators um, and we'll start with you, Buzz. Uh, what do you have any advice for the young filmmaker today 
of something they can do to try to get into this industry. How do you start to, you know, become a camera operator? Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, I would say just uh, what I like to, if I'm telling a high school student, um, I would say get a still camera, okay? And, and you can shoot a scene doing multiple shots on a still camera. And um, try and tell a story without uh, moving a camera, but putting a series of still images together. Okay, what that will do is it'll, it'll lend your eye to f- knowing a frame. And also uh, not just do a, you know, try to, try to uh, mask it at a, at a 185 format or some sort of wider format so that you can see the difference of, of the, the options of that, of that choice. Um, uh, practice. I mean, just practice framing and see what you get emotionally out of still multiple still frames. Um, that's a that's a great start to uh, just get, start to wrap your head around. You know what a frame is. What what a nice frame is, and show people and, and say like, is, you know, does does this speak to you? You know, so then you're getting you're getting peer uh, response back from that. So hmm. you know, it's an easy, it's inexpensive, it's easy, um, and, and it builds your language of telling um, telling a story without moving a camera just by you know, presenting, presenting an image and see what that emotional response comes back. That's a cool idea. I like, I like the idea of using stills and sort of limiting yourself to just a few frames to tell that story. Um, Mitch, same question. Any advice for our younger filmmakers? First of all, I would say that, you know, aspiring to be a camera operator is, is a great aspiration. I, I, and it's not just because I am one, but I think, you know, being a camera operator is the most fun job on the set with hands down, it's really a fun job. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people aspire to be camera operators. So it's, it's tough to, to get that job. And, you know, Buzz's advice is really good advice, but you know, what's hard is how do you get that first job? How do you get that break? And, and, and I would say this is advice is that you can be very proficient it, as a camera operator, whether it's Steadicam or, or you know, uh, on a dolly or a crane, you know, you need to understand how to use the wheels. That's very important. But I think the critical aspect of being a camera operator is being able to do your job and to be a nice person. It It's so important that we all are working very hard, 12, 14 hours a day, um, and sometimes adverse conditions that you have to be a good human being. You have to get along with the people that you're standing next to 12 hours a day. And that's the, that, that's, I think the key to being successful is being good at what you do, but also being a good person and how you do it. I love that. Well, guys, thank you so much. The film is West Side Story. It's out in theaters now, and it's awesome. So you certainly do need to check it out if you haven't already. Um, John Buzz Moyer and Mitch Dubin, thank you guys both so much for being on the show. Where can people find you online? Do you guys have Instagrams out there, Buzz? I do not have an Instagram. No, look at uh, you. Yeah, you can find me on Facebook and uh yeah, see if I get back to you. <laughs> I, I'm on Instagram. I think I'm at, at Mitch Dubin. It's pretty simple. But, you know. Um, you know and yes. we'll put links to all of that in the show notes so you guys can check it out and, and follow Mitch. But you can't follow Buzz because he's he's keeping all of his his uh, trade secrets secret. He's zipping them up. And, and I would yeah. say also, I would, you know, I don't say this all the time, but West Side Story is a movie that really you should see on a big screen. And oh, yeah. I know, you know, in COVID times, that's a scary thought. And so my suggestion is go see a matinee when it's not so crowded. But really, it's so beautiful on a big screen. That's the way I see, like, all the films for a Go Creative show. If we don't get screeners for it, I always go in the afternoon. It's the best. You can just, you get the whole run of the place. You can sit wherever you want. It's just, ah, I I like the experience of being in a basically like an empty theater. I know that's not the goal. You certainly want the theaters to be full, but (laughs) when you get those chances, um, take them. They're great. Anyway, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. We'd love to have you back for your next project. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. See ya. All right, I want to thank John, Buzz, Moyer, and Mitch Dubin for coming on the show to talk to us all about 
West Side Story. Uh, the movie's awesome, so I know you guys are going to love it. But please let us know what you think in the comments. Um, if you have any questions that you'd like for us to ask them that we didn't come across on this episode, please let us know. and We'll make sure that they answer in some way, shape, or form. I also want to thank our producer, Connor Crosby, for putting this whole thing together. Dave Siegel for mixing and mastering and making the show sound so good. You can find him at SiegelSound.com. I also want to have you guys follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube and your favorite podcast app. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. And if you want to follow me, you can find me on Instagram at Ben Consoli, B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. I post all of my behind the scenes, the work that I'm doing with Go Creative Show, as well as my production company, BC Media Productions. Tons of fun stuff there. And uh, I know you guys are going to love it. So check it out, B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. I want to thank you all for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. Filmmakers.